Welcome back to the More Beach Meetings podcast. I'm Carson Sweezy, your host. Today's guest is Liam Martin. He's the co-founder and CMO of timedoctor.com and staff.com. Those are time tracking software applications for remote work and productivity. He also is the co-founder of Running Remote, a conference focused on bringing together the top minds of the remote world to build the how-to of building a remote company. So let's get into the show. Liam, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you doing? Doing great. Thanks for coming on to the show today. Thanks for having me. Why don't we start off with the problem that you're currently working on? What are you solving right now? Right now, I'm trying to find a really nice long-term rental in Playa del Carmen because I don't want to stay here or I don't want to go back to Canada. I want to stay in Mexico. I'm trying to figure out a really nice villa with a pool preferably something that has like an infinity pool going over it. This has something to do with your remote working capabilities, I'm sure, if you're buying something in Playa del Carmen. So where do you fit into the remote working world? What's the solution that you're working on within that? We currently run two separate software companies, timedoctor.com and step.com. And those tools specifically are built to be able to manage how productive remote employees are, regardless of wherever they are on planet Earth, you know exactly what they're doing and how efficiently they're working. Then we also run a conference on remote work called Running Remote, which is the largest conference on building and scaling remote teams. We do that every year in Bali, and that's kind of my love child small project that we've been working on for the past year and a half. For me, it really kind of ties back to our mission statement, which is we are trying to empower workers to work wherever they want, whenever they want. Anything that connects to that mission statement, we basically are trying to get involved in. That's fantastic. I definitely want to get into running remote a little bit later in the show, but with Time Doctor and Staff.com, you have a pretty interesting story as to how you started working on those solutions. Can you give us a little insight into the beginning where you first realized this was something that was needed? I was going to pursue academia. That was what I was going to do with my life. And I think it was primarily brought on by my mother really wanting a doctor in the family. I got out of undergrad and went into graduate school, ended up at McGill University pursuing graduate degrees in sociology and realized after I taught my first class that it was not the direction that I wanted to go in life. I think I started off with about 300 students at the beginning of teaching my first ever class. And by the end of the year, we had less than 150. And I got some of the worst reviews I've ever, they ever got in the department. I think I got like a 3.1 out of five stars as a teacher. And I remember walking into my supervisor's office And I said, uh, I don't think I'm very good at this. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, okay, so what do I do next? And he said, well, you've really got to keep doing this teaching thing and getting good at it if you want to pursue an academic career, either get much better at that or figure out something else to do. And uh, about eight weeks later, I threw a really crappy thesis under his door and I was out into the real world with a master's degree. And I also realized I didn't necessarily dislike teaching. I just disliked lecturing. So I actually turned that into an online tutoring company. And that ended up growing to about 100 online tutors who were tutoring kids through Skype. And one of the problems that we had in that business was I could not tell you exactly how long a tutor worked with a student. I would bill a student for 10 hours. And the student wouldn't come back to me and say, hey, I didn't work with your student or your tutor 
for 10 hours, I work with them for five hours. And then I'd have to go to the tutor and I'd say, hey, did you work with this student for 10 hours? And the tutor would say, of course I did. So what I'd end up having to do is refund the student for five hours and pay the tutor for the full 10 hours. And that was destroying the business. Then I recognized that a tool like Time Doctor would have perfectly solved that problem because I would have been able to go back to the student and say, well, he actually worked with you for 10 hours, four minutes and 36 seconds. And here's everything that he did with you. So basically documenting remote work was something that I personally had a really big itch for. And that's why I ended up basically working on that project. And that was eight years ago. We added staff.com as an enterprise solution inside of our packages and now running remote inside of that too. So it all kind of coalesces into, I think we discussed this before, but I think that mission-based companies are actually a lot more successful than just making money. And I think if you have a mission, then it keeps you a lot more excited. At least it keeps me a lot more excited in what I'm doing. So having that mission statement as the core direction that we pursue has really been useful for me in developing out the business, staying excited about it, and then also just growing it out to what it is today. I'm curious what trends you've seen within time management with remote workers specifically. There's a couple of interesting trends that are starting to happen right now, which is um, you've got the ability to be able to measure what is actually happening at various levels. So a lot of companies measure KPIs. We get a lot more granular than that at our company, but I think that's probably pretty par for the course since that's what we do as a company. And there's an interesting conflict going on right now between what I would call kind of first world creative remote workers and then the remote workers that are grinding out day in, day out, customer support reps, sales reps, all that kind of stuff. They have no problem with a tool like Time Doctor and then more of the creative people. It doesn't work quite as well for them. That's a conflict that we seem to have happening. About probably 90% of remote workers have some type of technology like Time Doctor implemented already. So that's an interesting phenomenon as well that we didn't really understand until a couple of years ago. Another one that's really popped up that's been very interesting is around communication. So how much communication is too much? How much communication is not enough? Is asynchronous communication the best way to go or synchronous communication the best way to go? These are all problems that we've been trying to kind of crack open and really is also the point of the conference is to be able to finally figure out a playbook for best practices on how to manage and, and scale remote employees. Because at this point, remote work is really new. It doesn't feel new to me because I've been in it for more than 10 years. But for everyone in the regular world, most people don't work remotely. It's something that we're still testing all of these assumptions. And I think it's a very exciting time for remote work because it's now kind of entering the scale stage. When you say that there's a conflict with these creative types, is it that they don't want to adopt it because they feel burdened somehow? Or is it just the tool needs to be changed maybe for, for what they're doing, the type of work that they're doing? It's measuring what they manage. So there is resistance towards measuring what work you're doing. And there's a component of monitoring that goes into that. For us, we actually first built the tool as a personal productivity tool. 
there are there's a pretty active user base. We have about one to two thousand users that use it for their own personal productivity. But if we added all those people up, I think it only adds up to about three percent of our overall revenue. So it's a drop in the proverbial bucket. But it is what we are trying to get people to accomplish at their core with Time Doctor, which is making themselves more productive. However, measuring the amount of time that you spend working and what you're doing is something that some people find resistant. I personally use it every single day. I'm currently tracking podcast with Surf Office and the task is 11 minutes and 28 seconds. And for the majority of that time, I've been using Zencaster which is the tool that we're using to record this call. And at the end of this meeting, I can break down the podcast project that I've built and figure out exactly how much time it took to be able to get this this podcast, like the pre-interview, the outreach that Vaishali did to be able to contact you, this meeting, my pre-me checking out your podcast in general, and be able to come up with a metric to be able to figure out, was this a profitable use of my time or an unprofitable use of my time? Some people are resistant towards that. I'm personally not because I know that if I measure that adequately, I know where I can put my time more efficiently. It's definitely something that we've found resistance towards in the market. That's interesting that you found resistance. I mean, I find the personal productivity component to be so useful, especially with any kind of client work. I mean, you can track exactly how much time you're spending per client and figure out, you know, how much you're charging them and figure out where your dollars best spent or or just productivity in general, right? We've basically recognized the core marketing problem that we need to overcome is every business owner on planet Earth would love to use Time Doctor. However, there is a social cost for deploying the tool. What we try to do is reduce that social cost as much as possible. So make the software as employee friendly as humanly possible, while still allowing the employer to be able to get the data that they need to be able to make sure that every employee is productive, number one, and then secondarily that no one's going over budget, your agency isn't going to actually all of a sudden just completely collapse. And also to be able to mine that data. We do a lot of work with agencies and they're blown away when they'll recognize that they have 20 clients that they work with in an agency. And they'll realize that two of their clients are sucking up 50% of their time, but yet every single one of those clients is paying the same amount of money. So by firing those two clients, they can actually double or triple their profits but they just couldn't see that without a tool like Time Doctor to delineate between all of those costs. Stepping out a little bit, how do you target companies remote enough of a niche to target that specifically? Or do you look for specific industries in terms of targeting a specific audience with your marketing efforts? We have three separate avatars, actually, and they all have different messaging. We have Agency Adam, who is an avatar that we have and He runs an agency and he doesn't know exactly where he knows he's profitable, but he doesn't know which clients are profitable and which clients are not profitable. So we solve that for them. Then we have BPO Bobby, which are business process outsourcing companies. And those guys are running large scale remote teams or outsource teams. And they're providing some type of infrastructure or service offering to other companies and they're completely replacing like let's say calls like all your customer support 
and they're they've got a real interesting problem, which is their employee, their clients need to know how efficiently those employees are working. So that's the second market. And then the third market, we lovingly call them Tim Ferriss, guys that have read the four hour work week and are saying, Hey, I'm going to hire a virtual assistant. And we get tons of those people that come in. They do make us money, but they're almost neutrally profitable. So a whole bunch of people sign up, but they only buy like one seat of Time Doctor and maybe they last for nine months and then they drop off. And it's a very difficult customer to be able to retain because they're not running large scale businesses yet, but we still accept them and we build marketing funnels for them because they're also really good at spreading the word about our product to other people. That's an interesting point using, but just leveraging customers as your marketing channel, right? I mean, that seems to be a growing trend just across all industries. Only goal of marketing is to get referrals. That's the only goal of marketing, particularly in SaaS. About 60% of our business right now is just referrals. And what I would call, like I use marketing as seed methods to get those referrals. So let's say we run a content campaign or we're running a podcast like this. People that are listening to this podcast that have never encountered us before are going to go to timedoctor.com. Maybe they're going to sign up for a trial. Maybe they're not, but they're going to remember, oh, Time Doctor, it's for managing remote employees and making sure that you're measuring efficiently how well those remote employees are working. And then three weeks later, they're going to meet their buddy Bobby for lunch and they're going to sit down with Bobby and say, oh, yeah, you run a remote team, right? Listening to this podcast, this weird Canadian was talking about this tool that he built called Time Doctor. You might want to check it out. That's basically marketing. That's the results of marketing. And that's what we're really trying to create in everything that we do. Transitioning into running remote, how does this fit into the overall mission of empowering remote workers? We had a problem about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago, actually, where we were at one of our company team retreats. So every year we fly everyone in to one place and we do a big team retreat. And we were doing it in, I think it was Boracay in, um, in the Philippines. And Boracay is the party island in the Philippines. So we all got together and we were having these meetings about trying to figure out how to overcome these HR problems. And there was a whole bunch of blog posts on how to hire a virtual assistant or how to run a small team of three to four people. But there was almost nothing on how to scale large remote teams. How do you get from 100 to 200 people to 500 people to 1,000 people? There was nothing. And the reason is there's actually only maybe 1,000 companies on planet Earth that have more than 100 remote employees in them. What we said to ourselves is we really want to learn this information. And if we ran a conference on this, first we tried to look for a conference, none existed. And then we said to ourselves, well, if a conference like this could exist, we could probably get answers to all of these problems. And since we couldn't find one, we said, well, we'll do it ourselves. We built the conference. Feedback was great. We actually had to change venues because we had to get into a bigger space halfway through. And um, it was, they all connected with this vision of let's build a best practices playbook on how to actually build and scale remote teams so that now you know what you're doing and you know how to do it as efficiently as humanly possible. Okay, Liam, are you ready to jump into the hustle round? Do you need to stretch or sip some Gatorade before we get into it? Yes, I'm ready. Okay, first question in the hustle round. 
What quote or piece of advice is currently on your mind? I heard this. I had a conversation with a guy two days ago, and I think it's great. Honest conflict is better than dishonest harmony. I like that. I disagree with people respectfully. I disagree with really good friends of mine respectfully. But I don't want to just agree with them because that's the easy direction to take, because that's not the most useful direction to take. That doesn't make me better. That doesn't make them better. It just kind of makes me a little pissed off and it makes the other person probably more stupid. Coming to conflict from a place of love is something that I've always tried to do, but that quote just crystallized it for me. Honest conflict is better than dishonest harmony. And I completely agree with it. Yeah. And it can be used obviously personally or in the workforce, but, um, the thing it brings up is not sweeping things under the rug as well. Cause if you just ignore things, eventually things can boil up and fester. Yeah. I have another kind of quote that connects to that, which I've always used, which is the secret to life is being comfortable, having uncomfortable conversations. And I recognize that whenever I'm apprehensive about a conversation, it's usually the conversation that I need to have in order to feel better and move forward. And if you can figure that out and you can hack it and you can force yourself to be able to have that uncomfortable meeting, that is how you really move yourself forward in life, not just in business, but existentially, spiritually, socially. It's the way to become a more successful person, in my opinion. So Liam, what's an activity that you've learned a lot from outside of work? I used to be a international pair skater. So up until the age of 20, I was the guy that lifted girls for a living. Now you probably have seen this at the Olympics where I skate around on a rink, I lift them up in the air, throw them up in the air and, and come back down. And I competed nationally and internationally in that sport. At the age of 20, I ended up breaking my kneecap and my career was over. But um, I was approximately top 50 in the world at one point, and it completely built my sense of discipline, which I didn't recognize was so important for entrepreneurship until after I started hiring people at scale and recognized how rare true discipline is. The ability at 14 and 15 years old, thats I left home at 14, and I trained for eight hours a day. I do four hours of, of on ice, two hours of off ice, and about two hours of physiotherapy every single day. For me, that was something that just built a sense of discipline into me. And now when I try to hire people, I look for something like, did you compete in competitive sports for an extended amount of time? Have you spent time in the military? Or have you worked a really shitty job in the service industry? Those three things seem to build discipline into people, which makes me connect with them very easily. And I know that I'll have a very easy time working with them in the future. And they're going to grind on some level. Any of those, any of those pursuits will teach you how to grind. Yeah, that's the best way to say it. How can you, can, can you show me an experience in which you grinded on something and you just didn't let go? Okay, so obviously you create these productivity tools. And 
usually I ask, what's your favorite productivity tool? So what is yours besides one that you've built yourself? Todoist is pretty good. I don't know if you know of that tool. It's my buddy Amir's tool, runs doist.com. And Todoist is a task management app. It's, it's very cool. We actually have an integration with them. So I use Todoist for a lot of my personal tasks and I use Time Doctor for my work-related tasks. Another honorable mention that I might make is probably Slack. It's really good for my overall productivity. And then just another kind of honorable mention is G Suite tools, right? So calendar, uh, I use an, an Android device. I have a Pixel tool, Pixel phone, and the integration between Google Docs and Sheets and Gmail and calendar and the ability to be able to do Google Hangouts whenever I want seamlessly across my laptop and my phone is huge for my overall productivity. So now we're moving into the weekly call-out segment. This is a chance for you to call someone out, a friend or, or someone that you know out there doing cool things in the remote space or with company culture. Sure. So I would probably say one of the biggest questions that people ask me about remote work is, well, where do people go wrong? And the biggest reason why people fail at remote work is they don't have standard operating procedures and processes inside of their business because their team is distributed. So you can't just turn to John and say, hey, John, this is how you do it properly. You have to build a process around that, digitize it, and be able to transmit it to John. And then John can read that document or watch that video and know what the hell he's doing. The best process documentation I've ever seen is GitLab's process documentation. They have a remote team of Last year, they had 350 plus people. I'm sure they're probably up to about 500 people now. And they have a 3,200 page process document that they have as a Git repository at GitLab. And I think if you just type in like GitLab company guide, you'll find it. They have everything that you could possibly want. Do you want to know what kind of share options you get at GitLab? It's in there. Do you want to learn how they do demos of GitLab to clients? It's in there. Do you want to know how they run Facebook ads at GitLab? It's all in there. Everything that you could possibly think of is in there and systematized and digitized. And the beauty of it is Dimitri is encouraging people to steal directly from that repository. So for people that just are so scared about creating standard operating procedures, they're all there. Go in, steal them from Dimitri, steal them from GitLab. You're already 90% of the way there. Edit them for your own purposes. And then you've got that framework in place to be able to actually build out the processes and communicate them to your team. Well, Liam, thanks so much for taking the time out to chat with us today and for your insights. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. All right. That's it for today's show. Thanks for listening. Do you know someone who would be a good guest for the podcast? someone who is passionate about company culture or remote work or the future of work, send me a tweet at Carson Sweezy. Until next time.